chapter 1, and uh, we're going to read through that. I appreciate the music, singers, song service team this morning, the book of Jude. And uh, we are um, going to look at a couple of verses of Scripture throughout uh, this uh, single uh, chapter in Jude, the second last book in the Bible. And um, we are um, going to use some things there to speak to us this morning. How many know that we are in this Christian race? How many know we're in it to win it? Who's in it to win it? And it's an old phrase, you've got to be in it to win it, often referred to as the lottery and those other uh, things, that you'll never win the lotto unless you're in it. But how many know Christians don't gamble? Just, just chuck that in there. But you've got to be in it to win it. And so I want to just say to you this morning that uh, we are in this Christian life. We are in it to win it. If you're not in it to win it, you're wasting your time. And uh, you ought to be doing everything possible in this life, here and now, uh, to win it. We're referring to making heaven as your home. You ought to do absolutely everything in your power, everything in your ability to win that prize. You know, the Bible, it speaks about here in the book of Jude, the second last book of the Bible, and God is saying in, in one sense, saying in this book, I'm going to give you some final warnings before I conclude with the revelation of John. I'm going to give you some final warnings that you'd better take heed to and you'd better listen to. If you want to be, if you want to win this thing, if you want to make heaven as your home, you'd better listen. And uh, it refers to three characters in the Bible and three issues, I, and I really do believe these are the three big issues for most people that cause them to lose, cause them to be defeated and cause them not to make it. And the Bible speaks about that in Jude 11. I'm going to read a number of verses in just a moment, but it speaks about three characters. It speaks about Cain, speaks about Balaam and Korah. And uh, it uh, talks about um, uh, Cain in the form of uh, offense, speaks about Balaam in the form of um, deception with money, and thirdly, Korah and rebellion. And these really are the three big issues that affect most Christians, cause most people to leave church, cause most people to backslide, and cause most people to not make it. And that is uh, the, those three big issues that I want to look at this morning about being in it to win it. Let me begin with a quick illustration. Young man by the name of Larry who lived and breathed golf. As a teenager, he ranked in the top 16 United States of golf in all of uh, the school system. But when he was just 16, he had a car accident and had to have his, um, his left arm amputated. And uh, so he, uh, he wasn't able to play golf and uh, he realized that uh, he was not going to play golf anymore until somebody designed a prosthetic limb for him to wear. And he went back to playing golf and he began to hit the golf ball, never really realized that he could do that and uh, use one arm and half an arm and, uh, until one day he was practicing golf and he hit a ball 200 yards. And when he did that, he said to, he said to himself, man, I could win this thing. I'm back. I can play golf. And he rejoined the school team. They say he played even better than he did before. They then signed him, up, signed him up on a university golf scholarship. And Larry said these words. He said, I'm not less a person. I think of it as something that has absolutely made me stronger. I want to be a, the first pro golfer with a prosthetic hand. I also know that if I don't succeed, I won't be a failure. We only fail if we don't try. 
And what is true this morning in sports is also true in life and Christianity. And the objective is to win. And there are times, I know, there are times when you simply must be better than your opponents. It's absolutely true in Christianity. There are times you must be better than your opponents and times when you must put your game face on. How many have a game face? Show me your game face. Anyone have a game face? That's it, Jimmy. You got it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Good one. You know, Jesus had a game face. Isaiah 57, if you read that, it says he set his face like a flint. In other words, Jesus had a, he got serious about some stuff and he said, you know what? I'm going to win this. I'm going to do God's will no matter what it takes. Nothing is going to stop me from making it to the end. So I want to preach this, mo- this morning about uh, being in it to win it from Jude. I'm going to read, uh, skip a couple of verses. I'm going to start in verse 3. The Bible says these words, Beloved, while I was very, very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to skip down to verse 10. It says, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, and these things they corrupt themselves. Verse 11, which is the main focus of our sermon this morning, it says, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. And then we skip down to verse 20, the help we need. It says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Glory to God. Amen. So I want to look at these three things this morning, these three characters, these three issues, Cain, Balaam, and Korah, and how we can overcome uh, rejection, the deception of money, and rebellion. Let's look first at the way of Cain. See, this letter this morning is written by uh, Jude, who some believe to be the brother of Jesus. It's written about 60 years, they say, after the death of Christ, about 10 years before the fall of Jerusalem. And uh, so it's written concerning the Christians and their need to fight. They need to contend and do battle because he's saying the opposition will come, false teachers will arise, and the truth of God will be attacked. You can mark that down. And the very serious tone and nature of this epistle is, listen, if I could put it into paraphrase, he's saying, listen, we are playing to win. You've got to be in it to win it. And in one sense, he's using game phraseology, but how many know it's no game? Verse 11, Jude begins with these sobering words, woe to them. How many know it's very bad when someone says, woe to you? He says, woe to them, those who speak evil 
speaking in the natural and by speaking with words they corrupt themselves. And so he's saying here there's there's a powerful element to deception. Deception comes by the way of words that leads us in the way of Cain. Jude says, I found it necessary to write to you and warn you to be very careful with the words that you use, but also be very careful with what you listen to because words are one of the key weapons of deception and corruption. Verse 11, he makes this comparison. He says, woe to those who have gone in the way of Cain. So let's think about this narrative. It's the story of Cain and Abel from Genesis chapter 4. You can read through that in your own time. But if I could again just summarize that little story, two brothers, they're prepared to bring an offering to the Lord and God rejects Cain's offering. So as far as Cain is concerned, if God rejects his offering, God rejects him. So then he sees his brother's offering, Abel's offering, accepted by the Lord. He envies his brother Abel and the blessing that comes and the blessing that was on his life. And so like many of us do, he had to blame somebody. He had to look somewhere instead of blaming himself or questioning himself or asking about his own offering. He concluded, it must be my brother's fault And my offering is not found acceptable. So out of jealousy, out of envy, out of desire to eliminate competition, he decided in his heart, listen, think about that, in his heart first, he decided to murder his brother Abel. So let's think about this because murderous thoughts were set in motion by the rejection of an offering. And many times we can be in church and we can perhaps suggest something or have an idea or have a plan or something we want to do or some, something we want to see happen and we're rejected. And all of a sudden, something in our heart changes. See people with good intentions, they want to do something but told no and then everything changes in their heart. Suddenly their attitude changes. Just like it did for Cain and Satan then begins to come in and enter in, finds an open door and begins to attack your soul and your mind and your heart. Then all of a sudden perspective changes. Words change. You begin to say things you never thought you'd say before and, uh, and you begin to say things like, you rejected me. You reject my suggestion. You reject my offering. You reject my... the things that I want to do, and because you reject that, you reject me. Satan uses that to cause offense and cause people to be defeated. Listen, I've known people to leave church over things like this. The place they got saved, you think think about that. I've known people being in church two years, five years, ten years, the place you got saved and delivered and set free, the place God taught you how to communicate with people, the place God taught you how to have a marriage, the place God taught you how to have a budget and set some things in order and learn to manage your finances, 
place God taught you and showed you how to raise your children and a place God had you to be blessed and, you, and then all of a sudden they come to a place where a oh, pastor rejected my gift or somebody, a leader rejected my suggestion, my ideas and that, and that rejection plays out in their lives. You know, the word rejected means refused or slighted. And we are, when we are rejected, we feel refused. And it goes against our pride. And if we are not careful, it can lead to bitterness and hatred and offense. 1 John 3, 11 says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Uh, you know, there are many who are backslidden today because they refuse to guard their own hearts. And that makes me think about a time, some time ago, some of you were there. There's a, a guy on the streets of Hurstville. And he, was, he is what you would call a bitter backslider. Was in our, one of our fellowship churches some 20 or 30 years ago. And uh, he, uh, he's a bitter. We've met him on the streets a few times and he manifests. He gets angry. Uh, he swears and curses and just wants to go and interrupt us and everything we're doing. And one day, uh, I don't know how many months ago it was now, but it was, it, I'm not proud of the way it all went down because this guy got under my skin so bad and he came and he bumped me with his chest and tried to headbutt me. Uh, he was right here and I, I kind of, well, I deliberately stepped towards him. He's, a, he's, a, he's only a little, little guy, but I deliberately stepped towards him. We bumped into each other and then we were face to face uh, and we had some words to each other and uh, I, felt, I felt very bad about that, to be honest. And I mean, this guy, he's a nutter. He's a lunatic to be to, at the, uh, to, at, with the kindest of words. And so, uh, but I went home that night and said, God, you've got to help me. This is not the first time I've had a run-in with this guy. It's a bad testimony. Uh, I don't want to clash with this guy like this. And so that night I'm at home and I'm thinking about that. I'm, you know, and, uh, and so this guy, out of the blue, he calls me. Found a, got one of the flyers, which he'd uh, stuffed inside his uh, brown paper bag with his beer inside. And uh, he pulled it out later. And so he called me. And he wanted to talk to me. He said, listen, are you, I want to tell you about some people from the Potter's House who are down on the streets today. And were you there? And I said, I was there, as a matter of fact. I'm the guy that had a confrontation with you. And so anyway, we start talking. And I, you know, obviously we're on the phone so we can back down a little and everything. And he starts to tell me how 17 years ago he was in the church in Lismore. And uh, they rejected his offer of help. The pastor was away and he offered to preach one day and the pastor said to him, listen, that's okay, I've got some other things organized. And he said in his heart, he got bitter, they rejected him. He said, and over time, he then, uh, things went bad for him, his marriage fell apart, his life fell apart, he backslid. And here he is today, 17 years later, totally unraveled, totally a mess, lost his ministry, lost his marriage, lost his life lost his salvation, deceived by rejection, and now in the way of Cain, and Satan is winning. So let me look secondly at the error of Balaam. So I kind of got three sermons in one here, three different topics, but they all tie into this one scripture. And so the, er the error of Balaam is the deception of money. 
And here in our text in Jude, God says, listen, offense is going to be one of the number one killers that is going to cause you to not make it. Number two is the deception of money. And so the Bible says this is the error of Balaam. Balaam made a big mistake here. So the word error means to go astray or to be off target. And so it's the idea. We can start out well and uh, we can be doing well, but then slowly and subtly the deception of money can get us off course. And the Bible says the spirit of Balaam, you can be led down the spirit of Balaam, which is the spirit of mammon and not the Holy Spirit. You think about Balaam's life. If you know the story, Numbers 22 and 23 tells the entire story. I'm not going to do that. But Balaam, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's a man he's into witchcraft. Some call him a soothsayer, some translations. And at other times, the Bible says he sought God. And so he's got, kind of got this weird mix of witchcraft. And he understands God, is, God can do miracles as well. And so... You know, he's not a Christian, but he's got this mix of witchcraft and God. And so he sought God for prophecies and he had a bit of a reputation for being able to say things that seemed accurate. And he had a somewhat of a desire to know God and even perhaps keep a right heart. And so his fame goes all around the land and Balak hears of this man called Balaam who, you know, does some kind of magic stuff and has some power with God. And so he calls this guy, the king of the Moabites, who feared Israel were going to come and invade them. And so he wants to employ Balaam to bring a curse upon the children of Israel and stop them from invading their nation. So Balak sent some leaders with some money, money and goods and possessions, to try and bribe Balaam to bring a curse upon the children of Israel. The Bible says Balaam was, was impressed with what they offered and, uh, and though so he because he was impressed with how much money was on offer, he went to God and sought an answer. In Numbers 22, 12, and God said to Balaam, you shall not. You know, mark that, you shall not go with them, you shall not curse the people for they are blessed. So Balaam said, okay, you know, yeah, I want to be a godly man. And God says, don't do this. No matter how much money is on offer, don't do this. And so he says, okay, no problem. And he says to Balak, sorry, can't do it. So he's got direction from God. He knows this is not a good idea. He's done well. At least until a couple of days later, when Balak sends some more leaders with some more money. And the Bible tells us that Balaam is checked in his spirit. How many know God will always check your spirit? But it's how you respond that determines the outcome. A few days later, they return with an even greater amount of money, even greater promises, greater riches. You're going to have a beautiful lifestyle, very comfortable if you accept this. More money perhaps than he's ever seen before. Listen, this is always how Satan works. It's such a deception. It's a... Uh, it's a deception to make you think the way of the world and the offer of money is all that you need. It looks so attractive. And I have no doubt when you read through this story, Balaam thought, surely God wants to bless me. Isn't that how we think? 
There's an offer of money. There's, there's an opportunity to make money here. We know it's perhaps contrary to what the Word of God says, or maybe it'll lead us astray somewhere where we say, surely God wants to bless me. This must be from God. And so the Bible says, because of that, he went to seek the Lord a second time. Now, don't put your hand up, but how many have done that? God says no, but you say, surely, Lord. And so you seek God a second time. He knows it's not right, but now, but oh, the money. What about the money? He knows it's not God's will, but, he, but now he wants God's permission to appease his conscience and do what he wants to do and get the money. Because if he can say, God said, go, that's all he needs. You know, I've, I've met people. And once they say, God said, there is no turning them around no matter what. It doesn't mean that God said, and it doesn't mean they heard from God, but they convince themselves and they say, God said that I should go to such and such a country, such and such a city, such and such a place outside of the will of God. But oh, the, if I go and work in Perth, the money in the mines... Oh man, I could be on mega bucks if I moved to another country, if I moved to another city, another location, if I took a job in, in America, whatever. Say God said, as in the minute they say God said, they've gone, they've been the, the way of Balaam, they've gone in the way of Balaam and being drawn that way. And they say well, it's too good an opportunity missed. It's a good paying job, good opportunity. And uh, what that really does, it shows Balaam's love for money, perhaps your love for money. Second, uh, Peter 2.15 calls it the wages of, of unrighteousness. So a couple of lessons for us here is when God says no and you keep pressing him for it, he'll give it to you. Or let me rephrase that, he'll let you do it. When God says no and you keep pressing and you keep pressing, he'll let you do it problem is you'll do it without his blessing and he won't be in it and his will will not be in it and he'll but he'll let you pursue it uh, and he does this to teach us that uh, that our ways are not his ways and his ways are best for us story about a young girl who asked if it's okay for her to be sleeping with her boyfriend the pastor said no and showed her some scriptures that's not right she then replied, well, I know that the Bible says that, and I've prayed about that, and I actually have a peace in my mind about this in my case. The pastor explained to her that because she knows what's right, and it's, uh, it's written in, God, in God's word, God has now no obligation to continue to speak to her about it and would leave her to deal with the mess. So this is the problem. For many Christians, rather than live by the word of God, make decisions based on perhaps life, the world, experience, make decisions about their morality, the word of God, church attendance, forgiveness, and money. Make decisions about those things based on feelings rather than the word of God. And feelings lead you astray. And feelings lead you down a path of the deception of Balaam based on feelings, all oh, the money, what I could do with the money. 
And it's a deceptive strategy of Satan. It's been said there are many belly nations. That is people in various nations who literally sell their soul for a piece of bread. And that may be true of third world, poor nations and poor countries, but there are people in first world nations, Australia, dare I say it, people who sell their souls for money. And people who do whatever is best for their pockets, for their wallets and their bank accounts and completely disregard the will of God. You see, money always reveals the true heart of a person. And it can be demonically driven, makes people think that God must be in favor of anything that will make my life easier or more comfortable. But you know what God really has made of? God secured a way of our future. It's actually called a tithe. Many live in financial bondage because they don't obey God in the tithes of all their increase. The tithe, the Bible says, it means 10% of our income, of our increase. The Bible says this goes towards unlocking the windows of heaven and breaks the spirit of Balaam, the spirit of financial deception in your life. You know, the Barna, uh, there's a group called the Barna Group. They do statistics of Christians. The Barna Stats Group say only 12% of the entire body of Christ across the globe live in the blessing of a tithe. You know what that means? Only 12% of all Christians actually tithe. They miss the opportunity for God to bless them and become deceived by the spirit of Balaam. read a story of a valet parking attendant who parked cars at an expensive restaurant. One night he brought a gentleman's car to the front door for him and his wife. The parking attendant opened the door the wi- uh, for, the, uh, for the wife, but stood and waited and watched for her husband to pass him a tip. The husband reached into his pocket, pulled out a 20-cent coin, flicked it in the air, and handed it over to him. The attendant, in a moment of insanity, put the coin on his eye and acted like a pirate for a second. The wife saw this and laughed. The man got in the car. She absolutely gave him a serve. They argued. He then got out of the car, handed over some notes, and then drove away. We know we do this with God. We throw him a cheap tip every now and then and expect his absolute best service to be given to us in return. It's an insult to him. You'll only get his best when you give your best. See, giving breaks the curse of Balaam off your life and allows us to receive God's absolute best. It also allows the church to do God's work. See, Balaam began to seek God for direction, but when greed and gain and money became his motive, He began to follow the lead of the deceptive spirit of Satan and his life. The Bible says his life was taken from him. Joshua 13, 22, the children of Israel killed with the sword Balaam, the son of Beor, the soothsayer among those who were killed by them. Listen, the love of money is a killer. Let's look thirdly at the rebellion of Kor and I close quickly with this. Is the spirit of rebellion. Verse 11, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. 
Now, Numbers 16, 1 to 40 tells us the story of Korah. If you were in the Bible hour this morning, you would have heard some of that. And uh, this uh, it tells us in Numbers that uh, Korah rebelled against Moses. And uh, he, uh, he rallied 249 other co-conspirators uh, to rally to his cause. And uh, the Bible tells us all 250 of them were punished when God sent fire from heaven that consumed all of them. Because God always, listen to me this morning, God always judges rebellion. Bottom line is Korah rose up against Pastor Moses. He even twisted a few scriptures as rebels always do. Twisted a few scriptures to make his claim and uh, rallied 249 other fools with him to his cause. And they all died. A few warnings to keep us from the rebellion of Korah. And I'm closing. Number one, listen to me very, very carefully. If you have issues with God or your pastor, do not draw others into your issues. That's rebellion. And I can preach that this morning. It's the best time to preach on rebellion is when there is no rebellion. But you can perhaps mark that down, put that in the bank somewhere at some point in time, that uh, if you have issues with God or issues with your pastor, do not rally others to your cause. That is the beginning of rebellion. Let me just add to that, don't complain. Men, don't complain to your wives. Korah, the Bible says, consulted with his wife and she, feeling sorry for him, encouraged him in rebellion. She said, oh, you poor man, how, you know, how could, how could that be? How could that be so? And, uh, you know, you, oh, yeah, you, are, you are justified in your rebellion. And his life was taken from him. Don't complain to your wife. Number two, don't complain to your friends. Listen, they rally to him. If you've got issues with God or issues with your pastor, take it to God. Go to the altar, pray. Believe God for God to help you, but don't take it to your friends. That's gossip, that's slander, and that's rebellion. The Bible says that some joined him in rebellion. 250, and they all died. And then the third thing is don't listen to, side with, or join a rebel. If you hear someone speaking like that, you ought to jam them. You ought to say, listen, I'm not, I don't listen to that. I'm not going to be part of that. I refuse to be part of a rebel group because my life is on the line here. It always works out badly, even if you think you are justified. The Bible says they all died by the judgment of God. And so let me just close this, this morning. Second thing, the help that we need is that in these times when you are, you feel it, uh, the, the, an offense, you feel that you've been unjustly dealt with, you feel that there's a spirit of deception with money potentially running in your life, there's a little bit of rebellion in you. Our scripture gives us the hope we need because it says, listen, Jude, in the book of Jude, some have gone this way, but you, he says, but you, in verse 20, beloved, build yourself up. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. It says, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. He says, you know what? It is your personal 
personal responsibility to make sure you don't lose. It is your personal responsibility to make sure you don't go in the way of Cain, that you don't get offended, that things that are said, you don't get rejected. Listen, offense starts with rejection. It's your personal responsibility to make sure rejection does not play out in offense and cause you to go in the way of Cain. It is your personal responsibility to make sure money does not lead you down the path of deception. And it is your personal responsibility to make sure that you do not become rebellious in your heart and rally others to your cause and allow that deceptive spirit to have access in your life. Rejection, money, rebellion, they are the three killers to the longevity of the Christian life. And the Bible tells us we can be defended against those things if you would apply this to your life. Amen. Let's bow our heads this morning. We're going to close in a word of prayer. Amen. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We want to pray. Take a moment to believe.